All right, should we begin? Yeah, sorry. Are you ready? Um, Everything ready? Okay. Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Uri, and alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. And today we are joined by the wonderful Oz Alashe. Oz is a CEO and founder of CybeSafe, a behavioral science and data analytics company that builds software to better manage human risk. A former UK, I love this bit, Special Forces Lieutenant Colonel, and that's just great. I mean, that must get you all the chat. Anyway... Oz is focused on making society safer and secure by helping organizations address the human aspects of cybersecurity. Oz was made an MBE. I mean, this is a great CV. It's made up. It's completely made up. (laughs) In 2010, for his personal leadership in extreme conflict environments. Very, very well done. I kind of really want to know what personal leadership in extreme conflict environments is. So do I. (laughs) I mean, was there a particular circumstance that led to that? Um, actually, it was on the back of a, a relatively busy operational period. We were just deployed quite a lot, uh, quite a few operational tours, uh, many of which were in the public domain, some of which weren't. And so I think my wife thinks I just got it for being away a lot. <laughs> Do special forces mean SAS? Um, UK special forces is split into three, actually. So in Hereford, we've got the special air service, the SAS. We've got the special reconnaissance regiment, which does covert intelligence, which is where I was. And then we've got the SBS, the special boat service, which is down, okay. down in Paul, down in Paul. Well, welcome to the uh, podcast. It's a great honor to have you. I think a great question we like to start with is, um, and I, I can imagine some answers from your, your incredible history, is uh, what is keeping Oz up at night? <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure uh, uh, that my history would play into what's keeping me up at night. You know, I run a small business now, mm-hmm. um, a relatively small business. Uh, there are 110 of us today um, in the okay, business. it's not that small. Well, not, I've been going I mean, for yeah. five years, so yeah. it's, it's kind of, you know, it's grown rather quickly. And, and like most founders, you know, making sure that we grow well, that we solve the problems that we set out to solve and, and also that we attract and retain great people is m- what I spend most of my time thinking about. And what does the business actually do? Mm. Well, we are a cybersecurity software company. We help organizations measure, understand and reduce the human cyber risk within their organization. So that's the risk that they carry as a result of how their people behave, their employees right. behave. And our software provides scientific nudges and prompts and help and advice. It also helps them meet their compliance requirement if they've got a training requirement. But it helps them measure the risk and how it's reducing over time based on what their people do and how their people's behavior changes over time. Okay, so is it the sort of thing, I mean, I would imagine it's interesting because I was looking at the thing we have here yesterday where we have a dashboard and it tells us what our kind of I guess cyber risk is. Mm, yeah. Do you do something similar? Yes, absolutely. Couldn't um, work out why focused, mine was what it was. But well, okay. yeah. So we, we're focused on the people component, and right. indeed, for your organisation, you'll be looking at people and process and technology. Those three things together will kind of help you understand how much risk you're carrying and what you can do to reduce that risk. When it comes to the people component, many organisations simply think that if they provide their people training, yeah, people will behave better. Training improves your knowledge and understanding and knowledge and understanding aren't the only things that determine how you behave. I know that I shouldn't do some things, eat as many packets at crisps as I'm going to eat this week, but I'm going to do it anyway. So my behavior isn't actually directly related to my knowledge and understanding in that case. So training me about it won't help. So we help organizations understand their true human risk so they can help their people. 
And what, what, give us an example of what kind of organizations is, are we talking about big ones, small ones, so certain industries? So we've got a range of customers. Um, I guess at the larger end of the spectrum, we have some pretty large global international banks. You know, HSBC is a customer, Barclays Bank is a customer, Great Swiss wow. is a customer. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, we've got relatively small organizations. Rugby World Cup is a customer, the Premier League is a customer. Um, we've got uh, retail, so banking, financial services, insurance, um, legal sector, that's kind of, so regulated. So all the kind of sectors that are high risk, really. High risk, highly regulated. They tend to be um, really leaning into cybersecurity. And you're trying to stop, so let's do an easy one like banks. Clearly lots of people want to break into banks in lots of kind of ways. It's trying to teach the staff how to avoid mucking up or it's trying to also stop the staff being bastards, you know. Yeah, so we we, uh, we take a very different approach to that because as you think about it, most of us, no different to your organisation here, most of us are just trying to do our jobs really well and we have to use technology. Some of us love it, some of us don't necessarily love it. We just see it as a tool that we use, but we're all reliant on it. So what our people do with technology determines how much risk we carry. Um, like I said, it's not just what they know. So yes, we yeah. do help them by training their people if that's required, but... When it comes to behavior and behavior change, nudges and prompts and interventions normally increase the change significantly. So a good example would be my watch buzzes and tells me when to stand up. Oh, God, you don't... It's annoying. Do you ever stand up? Is it... Go on, buzz you now. You're going to stand... I think to myself, I'll fucking stand up when I'm ready. <laughs> when you're ready to stand up. <laughs> okay, you're contrary. Well, no, I don't, I don't think you are, actually. I think you look at your watch, you see that buzz, you see that intervention, and you say, I don't need to stand up, I'm feeling okay. Or I don't need to stand up, I'm probably going to get up again in a bit later on. Or, actually, if I wanted to, I could turn that off and I don't really need it. But the point is, you have a tool that could help you with that and do that for you. When it comes to security, you probably provide your people some training to say, yeah. please don't do these things with our information. But you probably don't give them much help. Training is not help. Training is training. And if it's compliance training and it's terrible, it's probably not even that useful. Mm. But you do it anyway. So we go one step further. We provide an app on the mobile device and on the desktop device that provides people support. They can turn to it for help when they need it. It's got a bot built in, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and I can kind of go, I'm, I'm, I'm in this situation. What do I do? Yeah, this yeah. man's trying to get me to put this uh, drive into the, I don't know, whatever. Trying to get me to plug something in, should I've I do it? I've just had an email asking me to click on this particular link. Yeah. Should I check, should I click on it? You know, what do I do at home? I've just bought some new devices and I know that I'm supposed to be careful with how I set up my passwords. What is a good password manager? I mean, there's so many things that we can help people with that reduce risk, but we don't help them. We just bombard them with training and information and expect them to remember it. And it's just not, it's not realistic. One thing that we do is people get emails that, you know, are fake phishing emails to try and catch, you know, mm. I don't think it's try and catch you out. Half to, of them are sent by the IT department, yeah, by the are, way. Yeah, <laughs> no. Try and catch you out. My philosophy in life is if I'm not expecting it, I'll just delete it. And if they, if it was important, somebody will ring me and tell me. It'll come back. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I don't understand is we've got, we're, we're at a point where Israeli, um, I mean, you know, don't mess with the Israelis, but they, they came up with that app that they could just take over your phone. Now apparently you don't even need to open a text. They could, You can just... Really? So if the text at that level... Uh, you know, I appreciate not everyone has access to this very expensive tech, but you kind of feel like people can do whatever they want to do if they want to do it. I mean, is that the level we're at? You know, if someone wants to take down OC and just represent, we actually don't have that much interesting information in most no, of public record, but... But a bank... Yeah, if people were determined, then the reality is, of course, a determined adversary would be able to get well, access to... Well, finance a yeah. determined adversary with access to 
cutting edge tech. Finance might do, but everyone forgets the fact that most adversaries don't need to go to that length to get into most organizations. This is the point. We're actually just trying to get the fundamentals right. I, mm. I don't want to call them basics because they're not actually straightforward or obvious to everybody. But they are the fundamentals. So um, to not protect ourselves or do the fundamentals simply because somebody who has the most cutting-edge technology could get in is strange when most people don't have the most cutting-edge techniques. Most of the criminals, most of the thieves, most of the things that we lose aren't being lost to the most cutting-edge techniques. They're actually being lost to people doing the fundamentals incorrectly or not doing the fundamentals. So we could probably eradicate about 70 to 80% of most of the risk and most of the breaches that happen simply by organizations doing the fundamentals. And the fundamentals aren't actually that hard, but they need help. People need help. So when it comes to clicking on links, which is a really good example, Mm. the fact is that people click on email links. It's not realistic to ask them not to do that. But we can do some things to help reduce the chance of them being sent a phishing email in the first place, of that phishing email necessarily tricking them. Somebody Mm. will click links. And if that's the only thing you do, train your people and hope it works, you're in trouble. But it's a layered approach. And one of those layers should include looking after your people. Okay, so we train the people really well in a business to, you know, not do these things. But what do they do when it all does go pear-shaped? I mean, most most clients now at some point, you know, they're, they're getting held to ransom or they're losing their data or something like that. Is there any good advice within that? There's lots and lots of good advice. And in fact, we're really blessed here in the UK. Um, the National Cybersecurity Centre, the NCSC, if you've ever heard of it. Great website, lots and lots of information. Literally lays out what you should do in the event of a ransomware attack. Um, or indeed any other type of attack that you might have or any type of incidents that you might have because of course an attack doesn't mean you've had an issue or breach. But in the case of ransomware, there are some really good and important steps that most organizations should take. And ideally, most organizations have got help on hand as well. What do I mean by that? Well, especially if you do what you do, I suspect Mm. you have cyber insurance. And I bet with your cyber insurance comes people that you can call who in the event of a ransomware breach or incident will come into your organization and help you recover back to a backup that you know is not infected yeah so one of the things you need to make sure you've got is of course good backups and with the army background and then with with what you're saying i mean in and this is slightly off piece but i think for businesses they wonder it now you know the world's being sort of split in two as it were you know maybe china always had its own internet but it's sort of becoming quite a divided world and then you read things about oh well you know the, the the real power is that China could just go shut down the national grid and stuff like that. You know the underlying things. Are you pessimistic about? Are you quite like this is going to? You know, because I'm amazed more shit hasn't happened. Are you asking if we're doomed? Is well, that for what the all the movies, is? for all the risk, for all the stuff, it's like less happens than I think it happens. I mean, the pattern, mm. the light. You know, you think oh, China are just going to switch the lights off for a day yeah. and just be like, yeah, you're going to shut the fuck up now. Well, I think um, it's not surprising to hear you say that because you're absolutely right. You know, there are so many things that could happen and most of them don't. And that's something we need to bear in mind constantly. You know, all of this has to be put into perspective and risk is really about understanding the likelihood and the impact of something happening. So the reality is that you have to put it into perspective. But what I would say is that, and you're talking about effectively a geopolitical split and the geopolitical positioning of many different nations, and you're absolutely right, there are some really quite deep and 
principled differences between us and some other nations as far as our approach to trade is concerned, our approach to freedom is concerned, our approach to civil liberties are concerned, etc., etc. So there are lots of things that we um, differ on. And indeed, as a result, there are lots of organizations um, and indeed many nation states that are taking steps to give themselves the ability to um, operate regardless of what happens. We also take resilience very seriously here in the UK and indeed in many of our allied countries. So we've got people, not just people, but we've also got a lot Lots of technology, a lot of bright minds looking at how we reduce the chance of this stuff happening and how we manage it if it does happen such that it doesn't completely disrupt everything that goes on um, in our countries and everything that we need to do to live our lives the way we want to. So the reality is that there are far more than you realize that happens. It Mm. just gets dealt with and or stopped or minimized. And we, of course, are extremely grateful of that. That's not to be complacent. It's just to really acknowledge that actually I would not go by what you see happening all the time. I would go by um, what is reported. You know, we're pretty transparent here. You know, the National Cybersecurity uh, Centre will tell us how many times they have stopped a major incident in the last 365 days. Is that like 100 times or 10 times? It isn't. It's definitely in the hundreds. I mean, I, I don't wow. know the exact number off my head. But and how do they you know, stop it? They literally, you know, it's like, press the button, but. Click it, click it. All right, we're Is good. Is it the, the Simpsons were in the uh, nuclear plant where they have <laughs> yeah. zero number of days since last since event? Since the last event. Yeah. What are your top tips? Yeah, so on cybersecurity, um, like I said, one, people, process, and technology, making sure that um, you're a business that will have a certain level of risk tolerance. What matters to you? What's the stuff that actually, if you could avoid a criminal having it and taking it from you digitally, then you would. And understand what that stuff is and make sure that you have put the things in place that you need to do in order to protect it. And if you don't know what those things are, get some help. The second tip I would say is back up your data. Back up your data. Back up your data. Because the reality is, as you said, ransomware is happening all over the place and it's happening to organizations who don't expect it. And the organizations who are not finding themselves in a shocker, having to have a shock, are the ones who can go back to a backup that's actually not infected. So back up your data. Well, back up your data in a disconnected fashion as well. You really, you're meaning like backup analog on a shelf. But this stuff is not hard for you to do anymore. You know, there was a time where you needed to know quite a lot to be able to do this or indeed have somebody in your team who did. You don't need to do that anymore. There's so many organizations who can help you for very little money. It's not even something we do, so I'm not even selling CyberSafe. I'm just saying, get some help. Um, And if I was a third, I'd say get cyber insurance. One last question. So so many people rely on, on things like Dropbox now. You know, I think to myself... Can you rely on these companies? I mean, they, they, their whole business is built on the fact that they need to be reliable, but... Well, that's, that's, that's the key point. So cloud computing technology has definitely exploded the way we all are um, build our businesses, run our businesses, live our lives. And so Dropbox is a really good example of a cloud computing storage um, company, uh, but you could really take the same approach and have a conversation about things like Microsoft, Office 365, which most businesses run on, or indeed Google and Google Workspace, or indeed even using things like Zoom and uh, all of these things Google are Docs. basically organizing. I'm a big fan of Google, so leave it alone. Um, <laughs> all, it's all trying to mark up an agreement that somebody else is marking <laughs> up at the same time is like a killer. Oh, and you, you could oh, see each other whining each other. Yeah. What's the change? That's my favourite sentence. <laughs> I was really proud of that clause. I use puppy. You should use small dog. Change it. Change it. Um, the reality is that um, all of these things are um, they are cloud computing technology, and I and I they, these organisations invest have to invest a significant amount of money in security, yeah. probably far more than we ever will do. Let's be really honest. So the fact is that um, I'm not saying that you should just use any old cloud provider, but the more reputable ones are worth trusting. Um, 
That's not to say they won't have incidents or breaches. There's no shortage of organizations that have had that. But generally, if they're good, remember, a breach isn't actually the end of the world if it's handled properly. It's interesting you focus on the people bit. Sorry, we'll move on because I like I like that. But you you've spent a lot of time in stressful situations with with people, and I always I always like the comment my friend said about when I he was in the army a lot and said, you know, what makes a good army? And he said, well, do you know what? When it's really going off outside, the only reason you'll go off out into that is because your friends out there. You, you know, that's the only motivation you have to actually go and stick your own neck on the line, sort of thing. And it always stuck with me. It's such an interesting comment about. Well, about humans, really, you know, and about you think of an army and about training and everything. And actually, when it comes down to it, it's 20 people who've got to know each other really well who will die for each other, you know. I would argue that any um, impressive feat, uh, something that is genuinely hard to do, something that hasn't been done before in some cases, or something that requires a real focus to get done, um, most unusual cases, it can't be done by one person. Generally, you need more than one mm-hmm. person to do it, even if it's some people to support the individual who's doing the thing. Yeah. Um, but often it's it's a team, and that's not a surprise to many people. But then, of course, you then say to yourself, well, what's, what makes a high-performing team? And you've just nailed it there. A high-performing team works as a team for the other members on the team. That's really the basis of any team. It's the basis of any decent business. It's the basis of any sports team. It's the basis of any military there are different environments, different contexts. Not every single person will be motivated in exactly the same mm. way. But the reality is the military is, in that context, no different to anywhere else. But the but the the environment, and of course what we're asking those teams to do, is where the difference really materialises. And so what we therefore expect of the individuals in that organisation is quite different. And so that's why you can do things with people in the military that you probably wouldn't get away with doing in a normal workplace. And by that I mean you can ask people to do things, you can ask them to give things up, you can ask them to put them physically themselves physically through things that they will do, in most cases, because they feel part of something. I would just suggest we, we just continually put it into perspective. You know, technology is a thing. It's there to enable a bunch of things, and it's there to enable us to do stuff. So ultimately, there's no such thing as, well, it's badly built technology, but ultimately technology in itself isn't inherently good or bad. It can be used for good or bad, it's not good or bad. And so there are things now, you know, logging onto my laptop, but there was a time when, you know, logging onto a laptop securely took quite a lot of effort and needed a password. But at the moment, I can actually just open my laptop, and because I'm wearing my watch, it knows it's me. You know, the fact of the matter is, where do you place your emphasis? What's important to you, and indeed... How do we continue to progress? Technology is about progression. It's also about solving problems, getting better. There are criminals who their problem is getting into your bank account. So they are using technology to solve that problem. And so this is what we need to bear in mind. Technology is neither good nor bad. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark. Straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. You can find us at oriclark.com. What do you think is bullshit in your industry and why? Mm, bullshit in my industry and why. So uh, cybersecurity is an incredible industry. Lots of people doing lots of really amazing things. However, um, I would suggest that in cybersecurity, there are so many people who want to get into cybersecurity, um, but yet the bar is set so ridiculously high. You know, we need entry-level entry jobs with people who've really? got five years' experience at X, Y, or Z. It's fucking nonsense. They don't exist. And how are you supposed to get that experience? This is the bullshit bit about the industry. I don't think there's a shortage of skills gap at all, as people would talk about it. There's a there's a quite often just a common sense gap. Let people in, train them. Let people in, test them for aptitude. Help people get better, give them the experience, and watch them do amazing things. 
So do you find that the military is a good source of these, you know, because as you say, what's on your CV, it seems a lot like, well, for some of the only experience, you've got to be in the police or the military. Yeah, so actually you you do make a point which is actually not incorrect, which is that a lot of the cybersecurity industry comes from a military law enforcement or intelligence background. But I don't think that's in any way a requirement. It's just a relatively common route because these people understand risk. They understand managing technology and information risk. And many of us have spent quite a lot of time chasing unpleasant people around the world and indeed know how to kind of um, protect organizations from similar or the same unpleasant people. So you do see a lot of people leave that type of government service and go into this industry. But there are also a lot of people in this industry. I mean, I was speaking to a, a CISO, a chief information security officer, so the senior security executive in an organization the other day. And he's back he was a jazz musician, professional jazz Whoa. musician. Wow. Studied classics at university. Amazing. There's very much this sort of the cookie cut approach or the sort of never think in life that, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not that thing. In fact, probably the best thing you could do is be very different in your outlook and your background, or backgrounds are relevant in your outlook and your, how you wired together as a, as a head, you know. The problem is then that a lot of businesses, and I suppose this is fair enough, if you, you're trying to desperately recruit, you don't have a lot of time, you've got a whole fuck ton of CVs in front of you, the temptation is to just go through and pick out the people with the right qualifications. Yeah, pattern matching. Yeah, um, so just, actually, this kind of looks like it works. Or indeed, pick the stuff that you recognise and know. Actually, I, I know I know that university, or indeed I went to that, I did those courses. Duck select ducks, somebody I once said to me. Know. Ducks select ducks. We all do it. At my last firm, one of my best friends used to do the first cut of the trainee applications. Like, he'd do the first cut, and then I always did the... Like, we set them a little exam and do that bit. Without fail, every year, we would have, we'd kind of get 200 applications in and we were weeding it down to sort of 10 to 15 people to interview. And of those 10 to 15 people, at least 70% would be from the University of Leicester. And it's because he went to Leicester. <laughs> and he just couldn't help himself. Ducks, select ducks. We gravitate to what we know. We gravitate to what we um, recognise in terms of patterns. And this is one of the reasons why, actually, if you really want a truly diverse workforce, you have to be extremely deliberate about it, because yeah. that's not what you're going to do naturally if no. you're not deliberate about yeah. it. Equally, if you want to um, increase the diversity in your workforce, the answer isn't to just take from everything. It's to actually just say, right, in which case, I'm going to advertise more here, where I think I've got a gap, and just let more apply there. Still yeah. keep the standards well, just to high. apply, uh, advertise more for a skill? Or yeah, well, so it depends on what, what it is you're trying to balance your organisation for. So at CybeSafe, we want people who have come from different backgrounds, so therefore some of whom, of course, come, have been through university and many of whom haven't. We want people who come from different ethnicities. We want different genders. We want different uh, outlooks and different socioeconomic out, um, uh, experiences. So we want all that whole range. If we just advertise in the same places we will get the same graduates from the same universities applying for the jobs. And we'll find some amazing people from those things, but they'll all have not necessarily exactly the same backgrounds, but very similar backgrounds. So if we really want to mix it up, so for example, we wanted to make sure that our engineering team had as many females in as possible and as many black females in as possible, because ultimately we didn't, there aren't actually as many black female engineers as there are, for example, white male engineers, go and advertise in universities where there's a higher proportion of people who study there that happen to be black females. Guess what? you're going to find some more yeah, black female yeah. engineers. 
to me, I think that it gets a bit of an, uh, there's often an overlay that it's sort of like, people are racist or people, it's like, no, like, we're prejudiced. We have this bias, you know, but black people get investment less because the people with money tend to be white and, you know, it's this sort of, and, and even how we're saying it now, you also follow those same patterns. Rich dad, poor dad, that whole concept, you do what your dad shows you, you, you know, so we follow these same patterns. So what's interesting about what you're saying is, as an employer, you just got to mix it up a bit. If, if it's important to you. Is it not always important? It's always important. It's not important to everybody. Depending on the size of your business, you might have people who differ in opinion around the room that we all think that diversity is important, but actually, when it comes to hiring, is it important to actually do a bit more work? Is it Because sometimes it is a bit more work to have yeah. a truly diverse workforce. Is it important enough to you to do the extra work? And the reality is that it's easy to judge, but unless you're running that business, you don't really know what the priorities are for that business. So my point is, I think we should blame people less and help people more. And one of the things I think is most is most important is actually making it as easy as possible for people to do the right thing, even though sometimes doing the right thing might be a little bit more work. And when it comes to diversity, which I think is incredibly important, I think there are a lot of really good business owners who really understand and truly believe that having a more diverse workforce would be good. They just don't really know how to go about it and they're not really quite sure. Yeah, and they're scared to talk about it a lot of the time because the moment they're going to talk about it, oh, well, you're just a race, you know, as a white person, you're constantly terrified of this word and it's such a it's such a loaded word, but we could come up with loads of prejudice words like that. I mean, I say it because, you know, you're black, so it's a sort of, you know, easy one to throw out there. It is a real um, an important issue for us right now. Blame less, I like Blame that. less, help more, but also have genuinely open conversations it's much yeah. easier when people are, are willing to have an open conversation and of mm. course the reality is you're only not we're all defensive to a degree about lots of things but if you can genuinely get to know somebody or indeed genuinely trust that actually i'm not going to get beaten up well then i'll tell you exactly what it is that's i'm stopping i don't know how this. we get people to play this is like a, a thing of mine at the moment like you know whether it be a politician or whatever i'm like we've got to give everyone a break like i don't care how much you hate them everyone is cocking up constantly. And if we can't talk about it, we just shut down. So we're just like, I don't know as a business. I've looked around the office one day. I read something about diversity. I realized I've hired all white men are about my size and age. And now I dare not even approach the subject because there's obviously something wrong with me. Well, you know? not something wrong, but actually, um, well, you might think that, but also how do I do it without making all the people who work in my organization think that there's something wrong with them? Because it's not, yeah. it's not yeah, their yeah, fault. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. They're, 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 so it's just kind of, and if no one you speak to and have this conversation with, regardless of what they look like or sound like or where they're from, will ever say, actually, yeah, good point. That's really that's really stupid. They'll all say, oh, that's, that's actually really good. Everyone calms down all of a sudden. It's kind of, how do we get to the point to have this sensible conversation? Okay, Oz. So this is the five-second rule mm. bit of the show. This is where we're going to ask you a list of questions to get to know you a little better, and you have about five seconds, although it never really works that way, to answer each question. Okay. Antonio, cue the music. Uh, what was your first job? Uh, my first job was a paper round. Very, very, very good. That's like the most classic answer. Um, I was probably about eleven or twelve. Oh, goodness. What was your worst job? Do you know what? Um, my and this wasn't because it was a bad job, but my worst job was working in a shoe shop. I did a Saturday mm, shoe. Lot of standing. Job. Just the lot of standing. I, actually, it wasn't a bad job. It's just I haven't done very many shit jobs. So, so actually, mm. you know, maybe followed by working behind a bar, which is quite cool in some parts, but a bit messy in others. I was in a shoe shop once in India. I, I, sorry, and I asked for a pair of shoes. I was with Ashy, so I have proof. And it was a shop in an airport. There was nowhere you could go. And this guy said, oh, I got to look for them. And then went back into the back of the shoe shop. 
and he never came out. <laughs> and we went, we went look for him, and he wasn't there, and there was no door out of it. It was like sure one of those. It was a shoe shop. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure he was actually he even worked there? But there was no the way shop. out. I mean, we decided he must be hiding behind the shoe boxes, hoping we left. But it was such a funny British moment about hello. <laughs> Hello. Anyway. Uh, Favourite subject at school? Uh, economics. Ooh. Oh, gosh. Gosh, you are an unusual man. <laughs> uh, what's your special skill? Uh, my special skill, it depends on who you speak to, I suspect. But I believe my special skill is um, helping people see the purpose in what they're doing or what we are doing. I'm, I'm okay at bringing together teams oh, of people. That's great. That's why we're getting through this podcast. It's, I, I was hoping you're going to be like disarming a man with my left finger. <laughs> Pretty shit at that. Too. What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, initially, I wanted to be an engineer. I didn't know anything about engineering, but uh, my father was an engineer. Um, has it? So didn't, 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 wasn't sweet, raised, wasn't, no, not at all. My father oh. was, was an asshole, and I wasn't raised with him. He <laughs> left uh, quite early, but okay. it's because I kind of knew it was a thing that grown-ups did. Um, but actually, uh, quite quickly, I wanted to play rugby as much as I could, um, and realised I wasn't good enough to do that. Uh, but I professionally, I assume he must have been quite good at it. I was reasonably good at, at it at schoolboy level, but not uh, not not beyond that. Um, and then I found out about the army. And I thought, gosh, I'm going to play rugby in the army. And I ended up watching... How the hell did you join those dots? Army, rugby... The, army's, they... the army's massive on sports. Is it? It's huge on sports. Oh, and rugby's a really Teams, man. Teams. So you get... And I thought, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to meet lots of women. I'm going to play lots of sport. Mm. This makes sense. Threat or sex? Threat or sex? There we go. There we go. Just in case. I might be shot at, but hey, fuck Could it. Could be both. <laughs> They're the best time. Femme fatales. <laughs> <laughs> fuck it, let's go. What did your parents want you to be... Well, you told you... Not Actually, sure no, they, they, they didn't really push me in any direction other than you know my parents are both Nigerian and I was raised by my mother who's incredible an incredible woman raised three of us and our own did all sorts of stuff to make sure that we could make sure that we were did she move here during her life she moved here yeah she's based here in East London and uh, has been here for ever you would be second generation yeah that's right so we were all born here she came here to study when she met my father here when she was 18, 19 so they they, and has been here for forever since then and so um, yeah they were kind of just get a get a good job I'm not sure they thought the military was a good job but it worked out what's your go-to karaoke song my go-to karaoke song is Robbie Williams Angels nice that's a good belt I, I hear it in my I hear it in my yeah, head right now. <laughs> I'm loving it. there's a big chorus <laughs> yes. I'm loving angels instead yeah that's the song is that the line he's yeah. having sex with angels around the side well I don't I think he's just loving them I don't think I'm it's loving angels instead yeah I was written by someone else must have been uh, careful, careful. Office dogs, business or bullshit? No, I'm a big fan. Business, business. Um, as long as the owner of the dogs cleans up after them, if that's necessary. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. God, I thought you were going to say has control over their dog, which I'd completely fail on. Anyway. Have you ever been fired? Never been fired, um, yet. You own your business. I know, I know, so but you, can never, you never know. <laughs> What's your vice? Uh, my vice is crisps. Are you mentioned oh, them so earlier? What's your flavour? You. Right, we, we're love finished now, so we can I discuss crisps. crisps. Uh, we are world leaders in crisps. When we travel we the world, you must get annoyed. Why do other people not have those flav- flavours? I don't get that. No other nation understands crisps. All the power that crisps gives your nation. Look, look at us. <laughs> no, but all you you go to France and all you can get is herb crisps or, or cheese swirls. Crisps. No, you know in France, in Paris, I was recently. They had a British section in their little supermarkets, which is crisps they, and biscuits. But the other how thing do we people smash. not understand the genius of cheese and onion and salt and vinegar? Thirty seconds. You want to 
uh, tell anyone pitch. about anything? Pitch your business? Tell, tell um, people something? Really happy to tell people about our business. So at CyberSafe, we are a cybersecurity software company that helps organization address employee-related cyber risk. We provide a software platform that scientifically influences people's security behaviors and reduces the risk and shows the security teams and the risk managers what risk is being reduced over time so they can see what's working. Brilliant. There you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. You've been brilliant, Oz. Thank you, Pippa. Thank you, Antonio. Thank you, Romeo. And we'll be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then, it's ciao.